Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome you to this episode of the Walking Your Talk podcast. I would say it would probably be one of the most important episodes I would have I would ever record in my humble opinion. It is so in my opinion because it addresses an important conversation that is very dear to my heart and to my whole existence. The last few days have been very heavy for me and I feel like I have been carrying around a weight with no point of reprieve. I hit an important milestone two days ago. Um, it was five years since I opened my business or practice, but I found it very hard to even celebrate given the tense atmosphere pervading the whole world concerning unjust treatments of the black bodies or black lives. I'll try to tackle this as an important concept or as important concepts and, and ask important questions that, in my opinion, gets at the heart of the issue of race and race relations as it pertains to black people, period. I'm also going to try to broach the subject in a way that speaks to my experience as a black man and also as an African immigrant and how my unique experiences plays into the whole dialogue of race relations in this country. I know some of you are probably tired and exhausted and want some sort of break or reprieve from the whole conversation, but I'm going to beg you to humor me uh, a little bit and because I think this is important. Um, so please humor me, stay tuned. Uh, again, I hope you stay and listen. I'm your host, Benjamin Arthur, aka Brooklyn Idol. I know you have all gotten used to listening to stories from my podcast and maybe expecting that I tell one about racism. Indeed, I have many personal stories about racism and being a target or victim of it. I was listening recently to another podcast that a friend shared two two nights ago actually, uh, where the host shares uh, her experience as an African um, living in America of racism and with racism I should say. I could also tell many stories, uh, similar stories, about my experiences with racism. However, I want to take a slightly different approach uh, and talk and approach it a little bit differently this time uh, around. I want rather to go into sort of a stream of consciousness about several thoughts uh, and also explore some of the ways that I, as a black man or an African immigrant living in America uh, and people like me, may consciously and very often unconsciously play a role in the classist and divisive uh, racism people with skin color uh, like mine experience. Um, I'm hoping this will start some important dialogue and open eyes and ears and hearts to engage this all-important but often uncomfortable and taboo conversation. I came to America in 2003. Uh, I came to America to go to college. Why? I'm not asking why I accepted the opportunity to, to come to college in America. I mean, in, as an African, that's a, that's a given. I'm asking why did America or American colleges extend the opportunity to an African like me, living in Ghana and others like myself, to come to, co- to their colleges? I realize I always wondered about this, but as an African, you think more about the opportunity and less about the why of the opportunity. 
Could it have been to make a point to the African-American that someone with the same color could go through college? Could it have been to fill a quota for black people that they could not find in America with the same level of education or capabilities? Uh, could it have been that they just had too much money? But even so, couldn't they have found an equally bright African-American kid to fill the spot? Why? Why me? And even if it was to make a point to the African-American, was it a fair point to make? I come from a place where the black man governs and has a say in their day-to-day. How do you choose me to make a point to someone who has been denied the basic exposure to true freedom? Why? When you ask the question why, then it opens up the door to a system that completely denies the African-American. And by African-American, I mean black people whose history in this country stems from slaves that were transported over the Atlantic and other seas. You see, it opens the door to a view to view a system that continues to deny this group opportunity and turns around and berates and punishes them for not being successful. So why couldn't they find a black body from this group to fill the void, to fill the quota? Now, I want every black person who came to America and other places for an education to contemplate this. Why? I'm not saying you should feel guilty of your education. I'll never advocate that. I mean, you worked hard, we worked hard, we studied hard, and we got in because our work spoke for itself. But it is also important to hold that knowledge against the why, because both are important and both are true at the same time. Almost every African who came to college in America that I speak to makes it a point to draw a distinction between themselves and African Americans, self-included. We have somehow bought into the idea that black people are different depending on where they come from or depending on what their history is. That it's important to make the distinction and for what reason only God knows. This is, there's this idea of a, of a model immigrant or minority. Now, I'll one day talk about that. Um, that allows us to forget that there are several moments in the day when all anybody sees, if we don't speak, is that we are black. I'm not entirely sure how this divisive way of thinking came to be, but I think I have an idea. In December of last year, when I visited Ghana, I went for the very first time to the Anomabo, uh, to Anomabo, and um, I learned at the time also that it actually used to be called Anomansa, meaning that um, you when you, you you don't get fed up uh, when you drink. Uh, I think it's a, it was, if, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was in reference to the fact that um, the, 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 the town is right on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. And so you can drink the sea all you want and there will still be water. Essentially, that's what the name means. And I got to visit these slave dungeons for the very first time. Now, these slave dungeons, the white colonizers renamed Elmina. I was born in Ghana and spent my whole life and grew up in Ghana to be about 18 years old and, uh, before I left. And I never visited these slave dungeons. 
Now, some people my age who did visit these slave dungeons earlier in life um, usually did so casually as an excursion. Now, I'm referring to them as dungeons because that's what they were. But do you know what word is used to describe these dungeons now? They are called castles instead. When someone hears a castle, they don't think about the horrific atrocities that took place in these dungeons that cost several lives and transported black bodies across the ocean. Castle. It softens the poison and numbs the venom of what took place in these, these places. I'm saying this to say that as a Ghanaian who grew up in Ghana and studied in Ghana until I was about 18 years old, a full adult by all standards, I knew next to nothing about slavery. All I knew was an edited version of the narrative that said that there was something called the slave trade that happened and the people traded in gold, salt and slaves. Again, another word, trade, used to numb the venom that these atrocities wrought. When someone hears trade, they think a harmless exchange of goods, but this was everything but harmless. This was a violent removal of a group of people from their home unwillingly for centuries. What did they get in return if this was indeed trade other than their lives lost? What's worst, centuries and centuries of these atrocities, not days, not months, not years, but centuries, several lifetimes of these atrocities and all condensed into a few sentences in a book. Not chapters, but a few sentences. I recently learned that nowadays they even teach the advantages of the slave trade. Pray tell, what are these advantages? When I ask, and if I ask my fellow African immigrants, Ghanaian immigrants, what they know about slavery because I refuse to recognize it as a trade, they will reveal they know very little. And so while the African American clings to this history and trauma with all their soul as everything they know, some black Africans, through no fault of ours, minimalize and think of it abominably as an opportunity. Somehow this shared history, as true as it is, has become the great divider. I am convinced that until slavery is taught to the African from a deep emotional point other than that cursory, it was harmless point, this divide will forever remain and we would have convinced ourselves that we are two separate groups of people and not one. More and more, I worry that this too is impossible because of what Africa looks like today or at least what Ghana looks like today with kids who don't even speak our language except English and how we cling to religion as a means to an end. I recently saw a short video where a man basically said that the greatest con in the world is the idea that there is somewhere else called heaven and that we need to prepare for it. Now before you condemn this as hubris, have you ever wondered what your life would look like if you believed all you had was here? He talks about how people never reach their full potential and don't strive for the best, for justice and for all kinds of equality because they are waiting for heaven and this too plagues the black psyche. I saw that there was a verses with Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond titled The Healing, 
for those of you who don't know who they are they are gospel artists and there was going to be some introductory words by bishop td jakes and the whole program was called the healing immediately i said too soon too soon and here we go again we're going to sprinkle some jesus on it and say it's okay and it's all right let's wait for heaven I, for one, don't want to continue to live in this constant fear for my life. And as for black Africans, especially some of us who have had good education, we sometimes live in the fool's paradise that it won't happen to us. We somehow think that our Ivy League degrees will protect us, that the George Floyds of the world are not us. Some of us marry Caucasian spouses and have mixed kids and forget that these kids will also be considered as other. Never have I been stopped by the police and been asked to produce my college degree. They don't care. And they won't care in your situation and your mixed child situation either. At the end of the day, they see the color of your skin. And as much as we black people would want to make distinctions amongst ourselves, they don't care about those distinctions at all. Unfortunately, we believe that we are different and that the African-American is lazy because we somehow were able to accomplish so much but fail to acknowledge and empathize with centuries of systems that have denied this group of people their basic human rights. I could go on and on and I'm certain that I will come back to this because this is something that I have thought about a lot lately. My heart breaks into so many pieces for all the black lives that we have come to see taken senselessly and my heart breaks even more for the forgotten ancestors whose lives lost in slavery was the original sin that paved the way for black bodies to be torn apart in this way. My humble call is to my people, black people, is that we share the same history. We are the same people. A house divided amongst itself won't stand. We owe it to ourselves to stand and survive and to give that knowledge to our children. We owe them that much. If you're a parent, make your children go to school. Do everything you can to make sure they get an education. Everything. Teach them about themselves. Tell them they can do and be anything and everything they want to be. Expose them as much as you can to different things and different experiences and let their imaginations grow. I'm tired of young black boys being limited in their imagination just because they have got not been exposed to anything. I am doing everything I can to change that. So should you. I often feel hopeless. But then I realize that I have no choice. Because the fight doesn't end when I feel hopeless. It ends with my last breath. Let's take care of each other. Thank you.
I would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of Walking Your Talk. I hope you found the episode and stories to be helpful and enlightening. Remember to subscribe if you can and share it with everyone if you can. It will encourage me to continue providing you with more thought-provoking content. Also, I would love to hear from you and get information by way of feedback and also what you would want me to talk about. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Brooklyn I Doc. That's one word, Brooklyn I and Doc. You can find me on Facebook by searching for my name, my first name, Benjamin. My last name is Arthur. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel by searching for Dr. Benjamin Arthur on YouTube. Until next time, always remember this. Talk is cheap. Walk your talk.